You're listening to the Power and Excellence podcast with Dr. John. Hello and welcome. Once again, this is indeed the Power and Excellence podcast. I'm Dr. John, and today we are continuing our discussion on lying. We put out a podcast a few days ago called We're All Liars, and it seems to have provoked some discussion. In particular, we had an email from Steph. Um, Stefano or Stefano, not quite sure. So for the avoidance of mispronunciation, we're going to call you Steph. I hope that's okay. So Steph says, John, I want to know what is the difference between exaggeration and lying? And the context that he gives is, he says, look, recently I was applying for a new job and I may have somewhat exaggerated or embellished my achievements on my job application. And I think it's essential if I'm going to stand out from the crowd, if I'm really going to set myself aside, then it's normal and natural for me to exaggerate somewhat my achievements. Everybody does it, and therefore I feel that I have to as well. Well, Steph, I mean, I think it's a bit of a push to say that everybody exaggerates and uh, embellishes their CV, but certainly it is not unheard of. So I think it's safe to say that many people do. Um, But now what is the difference between exaggeration and out and out lying? Well, I mean, I think if if you exaggerate, say, for example, that you achieved 95% of your key performance indicators last year, when in actual fact you only achieved 90% or 85%, then clearly that's more of an exaggeration than an out-and-out lie. But if you only achieve 10% of your KPIs and you tell your prospective employer that you achieved 95%, then that's not just an exaggeration. That is an out-and-out lie. Uh, And obviously things like if you say you worked somewhere where you didn't, you say you had a job that you didn't have or a qualification that you didn't have, um, I mean, I'm reminded of the case of, was it Zolia Alemi um, last year, I think, uh, in 2022 in the UK, who had claimed to be a qualified psychiatrist and got a job 20-odd years ago in the UK as a psychiatrist claiming qualifications from a university in New Zealand. And it wasn't until something happened last year that she got found out. I mean, my goodness, she had been practicing for 20 years as a a psychiatrist, prescribing medication, no less. Now, that's clearly a lie, and she was rightly convicted and is now serving a a prison term. So in those kind of contexts, Steph, I think it's fairly clear, it's fairly obvious where there are uh, real lines in the sand between an exaggeration and a lie. Now, to your next point, that everybody else does it, everybody's embellishing, everybody's exaggerating, and therefore I feel that I have to as well, not just to stand out from the crowd, but also maybe just to be a part of the crowd, to be a part of the cohort that is under consideration. And there is some truth in that. There is some evidence that suggests, especially online, that people are very prone to embellishing and exaggeration. But regardless of where we do it and how we do it, let's just remind ourselves that these things can always be found out, found out, and they have a way of coming back and finding us. Remember Scott Thompson, the former CEO of Yahoo, who falsified his CV by claiming to have a computer science degree decades before becoming involved with Yahoo. And an activist investor 
questioned that, investigated a little bit, found out that he didn't actually have the degree that he claimed he had, and Thompson was eventually forced to step down as CEO of Yahoo, which at that time was one of the hottest uh, tech companies in the planet. So the fact that he lied about it, the fact that he was disingenuous, and this, this called into question his integrity as CEO, is what led to him being forced to step down because, of course, by that time, his degree was decades old. It was significantly out of date and had no day-to-day -day implication on his uh, ability to be the CEO. But what did have an implication on his ability to be CEO was whether or not he was honest with people. And in a study in uh, 2011 in the UK, the British election study found that almost 50% of respondents considered that falsifying a job application is never justified. Now, almost 50 percent. That means that just over 50 percent actually considered it to be something that was potentially okay. So how do we reconcile these numbers? Because I'm pretty sure that if I ask people randomly on the street, do you consider lying to be okay? Most people will say no. The vast majority of people will say no. Honesty is important and lying should be discouraged. So how do we reconcile these numbers with that notion and recognize that, hey, over 50% of people consider it potentially okay to lie on a job application? Well, according to the Journal of Economic Psychology, a study published in 2015, what people actually do is they go through this balancing act, this equation of whether or not the lie is okay. According to the theory of self-concept maintenance, people allow themselves a limited amount of dishonesty as long as they're able to retain a positive view of themselves and their own honesty. In other words, when we're making those claims on our CVs and our resumes and our job applications, what we're effectively doing is saying, I'm being honest about my potential ability. I'm being honest about what I think I can do. So when I lie about having achieved a certain, uh, maybe it's a sales quota, for example, or uh, a KPI, when I lie about having achieved that, what I'm really doing is saying, hey, I know that I can do that. So in my heart of hearts, I'm being honest with myself. I'm maintaining my self-concept, the idea of myself. So as long as I can retain a positive view of my own honesty, I consider that lie to be okay. In addition to that, because I'm unable at this point to quantify the effect or the cost of that lie on my potential employer, it makes it easier for me to justify the lie to myself because I can quantify the benefit to myself. The benefit to myself is that I am putting myself in a stronger position and a better position to achieve my aim, i.e. getting this job. But the cost of that lie to the potential employer is quite uncertain. And that makes it easier to lie and simultaneously maintain a positive self-concept. Now, another study in 1983 proposes that behavioral, the behavioral model of lying in which the decision maker evaluates the costs and benefits of deception, the, in this model, the underlying justification process leads to an underestimation 
of the impacts and the costs of those lies, especially if the situational factors uh, form, provide intrinsic rewards for the liar. In this case, the motivation to lie is greater than the motivation not to lie. And so applied to professional contexts, uncertainty about the outcomes caused by probabilistic future rewards might undermine the accurate perception and the cost of the lying to the third party. So in consequence, this increases the likelihood of engaging in what we will loosely term unethical behavior, because if I'm maintaining my positive self-concept, the idea that I'm still being honest, then to me, it's not unethical. But when we look at it in the cold light of day, this is nonetheless an exaggeration, an untruth, disingenuous behavior. But in my mind, it's not. And that in itself increases the likelihood of engaging in that behavior. So, Steph, to answer your question about is it okay, what is the difference? Well, the difference might be easy to quantify when we put ourselves in the third party and we step back and we say, this is unacceptable. But when we are in the position, what we're doing is we're going through this whole uh, situation where we're balancing this, we're, we're calculating this equation. And because the cost to the third party, the cost to the potential employer is uncertain, and the cost to me is very quantifiable, we justify that by saying, I wasn't lying, I was merely exaggerating, or I was merely explaining what I am potentially capable of, given the opportunity. And that leads us to justifying and accepting that we can tell these little white lies, if you like, on our CVs and our resumes. And our ability to justify that increases with the increase in anonymity or invisibleness, if you like, of a situation. Take, for example, uh, online activities. So uh, chatting in, in rooms, chatting in, in forums and online dating, etc. In these contexts, a, a survey or a study published in uh, the Journal of Computers and Human Behavior in 2016 found that self-honesty decreased significantly. In fact, only 16 to 32% of people reported self-honesty in their online activities in these kind of contexts. And only 2% of people expected other people to be honest online. Most commonly, people lied on uh, social media, online dating, anonymous chat rooms, sexual websites, etc. And the reason for this is because once you take away the possibility of being identified, once that situation becomes completely anonymous, we are now free to justify and to balance that equation of self-concept in our favor, because there is zero cost. We think online world is a made-up world. It's a different world. It's just a fantasy. It's make-believe. You can be happily ever after. You can put aside your bad life, your job in which you're dissatisfied, your family that doesn't seem to care, you can put aside your flabby belly and you can make believe all of these other things. And the theory of self-concept maintenance holds true here because in this context, we consider the cost of the lie, psychological or otherwise, to the third party, to the other person with whom we're involved, to be negligible or incalculable. 
But the payoff to self is that I am enjoying the moment and therefore for me, the lie becomes worthwhile. And that's how we justify lying in these uh, contexts and these situations. And the most common lies online uh, are about things like age, gender, weight, socioeconomic status, uh, relationship status, looks, etc. In fact, one uh, study found that 51% of online daters admitted to misrepresenting themselves in one of those categories. Similar number to the people that uh, some studies estimate are people who are just on those dating websites for their own titillation, for their own satisfaction. They actually have no real interest or no desire to go on a date with anybody. Now, the rationale behind that could be, well, who knows? It could just be people who are unhappy in their current relationships. They're lonely, maybe, but they don't necessarily want to go on a relationship, uh, to go on a date and find a relationship. And therefore, they go on to these sites to try and prove to themselves that they are still desirable, still uh, capable of attracting people. And in order to maintain their their anonymity or maybe to elevate their, their own feelings of self-worth, they misrepresent themselves in one or more of those uh, categories in order to attract people and in order to make themselves feel better. Once again, we see that that equation of self-concept maintenance is coming into play, where the anonymity, the fact that uh, this isn't doing anybody any harm, the cost to the other person is negligible to zero. But the benefit to self is that I feel the benefit of an inflated sense of self. My ego is being massaged somewhat and I start to feel better about me. So the payoff for me is very obvious and quite tangible. But for the other person, it doesn't really matter because that person doesn't even really exist in my mind. Add to all of that, I justify it as well by recognizing, as we said earlier on, that I... Only 2% of people expect that other people online are being honest. And therefore, my perception is that if everybody else is lying, and this goes back to Steph's point earlier on about lying on his CV, if he thinks that everybody else is doing it, then that justifies it for him. If I think that only 2% of people online are being honest with me, then that further justifies my intentions of being slightly dishonest or uh, creating a persona or creating uh, an ideal version of myself that might not necessarily reflect, reflect reality, but it doesn't matter because if everybody else like me expects that other people with whom they interact online are going to be dishonest, then the cost is again negligible to zero. So again, that theory of self-concept maintenance is coming into play. Because in this context, what I'm doing is I'm balancing what I think other people are doing and the cost of me lying to them versus the payoff to me. And if I assume that everybody else is going to be dishonest, remember we said that only 2% of people thought that other people with whom they interact online are going to be honest. So if I'm assuming that 98% of people are going to be dishonest, then I justify my own actions and my own dishonesty by saying I'm being no worse than everybody else. I'm maintaining my self-concept. My position in my own mind is still positive. So, Steph, I hope we've gone some way today to uh, clarifying your question about what is the difference between a lie and an exaggeration, and is it worth it, and is it okay to do it just because everybody else is doing it. If nothing else, I hope we've given you some food for thought. 
And finally, just before we wrap up for today, I had a couple of messages about lie detection. In other words, how can you tell if someone is lying to you? One message said, I read online that if someone is looking down and to their left, that means that they're lying and they will look up when they're telling the truth. Is this accurate? Is this a good way to know if somebody is lying to me? Short answer, no. When someone looks down and to their left, uh, or looking down at all, typically means that they are having some kind of an internal dialogue. Now, that could mean that they're lying or they're trying to think of a lie. It could, but typically it doesn't. It usually means that they are thinking of a way to articulate what they're trying to tell you, thinking of the right word, thinking about how much to tell you, how little to tell you, how much detail to include, and all that kind of good stuff. So I would absolutely not rely on that as uh, a lie detection method. Similarly, when someone is looking up, they are usually accessing some kind of a visual memory, right? You can try this for yourself. Ask somebody uh, just randomly what color is their front door or, or what color is the picture frame on a painting in their living room or whatever, and just watch their eyes. They will look up. They will access a visual cue, a visual memory, as they're trying to recall that information. Now, NLP uh, theory suggests that people will look in one direction, left or right, depending on which part of the brain they're accessing. And whilst there is also some truth in that, people who are left-handed versus right-handed will look different ways. So it's really not an exact science. Even polygraph tests, polygraph tests rely on uh, increases in sweat, increases in heart rate, increases of all the other different tells that signify when somebody is becoming stressed. As we mentioned in the previous podcast, our brains become so much more active when we're lying. And it's some of those activities and some of those cues that polygraphs try to pick up on to assess when somebody is lying. The problem with that is that if somebody has lied about something so much and so often, it becomes very, very part of them and it becomes a truth to them. And therefore, when that person is telling that lie, in inverted commas, for them it won't feel like a lie and therefore they won't dem uh, manifest the same signs and signals, they won't demonstrate that same anxiety increase that people would ordinarily when they're telling a lie. So all of this is a kind of a long drawn out way to say, look, there is no 100% surefire way of knowing when somebody is lying to you. Even a polygraph, you walk around with a mobile polygraph in your pocket, even that is no guarantee. As I mentioned in the previous uh, episode, when you create an atmosphere of safety and honesty and you create that context, people will feel safer. They will feel safer to tell you the truth without fear of repercussion or ramification. And in that context, you give yourself a higher than average chance of being told the truth and not being lied to. Otherwise, there is no surefire way of guaranteeing the truth. And no surefire way of knowing when you're being lied to. So that's it for me for today. I'll see you on the next episode. Remember to send us a message. You can do so on WhatsApp on plus four four seven eight six zero six two five 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 one. 
or you can drop us a line to podcast at powerandexcellence.com. Thank you very much. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Power and Excellence with Dr. John. I know I got the bag.